Is it on? Yeah. Yo, 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 yo. Okay. yo. I'm Jim Jackson. Um, I teach here. I go here. I'm introducing tonight's guest. Probably because I was super excited when one of my students came to class on Tuesday and was like, oh, I'm hosting this. But also because I'm from Oakland, so I wanted to be able to have this conversation with you. Yes. Uh, right. We got Blake Simons, Dosey Parkham. So um, if y'all know anything about the Hillback podcast or their work, they also have a People's Breakfast in Oakland. I want to talk to you about that. If you know anything about Oakland, does anyone know anything about Oakland in here? Yeah. Yes? Okay, so we know about gentrification. We know about the house crisis that's happening right now in the Bay Area. Um, what's really great about their work is that they've been showing up for young folks, uh, folks who are on the streets, folks who need hygiene packs, who need food, who need support um, in the Bay Area, providing them with the support that they need. So this is not just about having a conversation about a podcast, but also about thinking about how we service communities and how we show up for one another in very specific and special ways. And so I wanted us to think about that as we go into the podcast uh, tonight. And think about things like neoliberalism, race, gender, class, orientation, environment. That's what we'll be talking about, I assume, since that's what we've been talking about since the podcast started. Yes? Something like that. Right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. All right, so let's get started. And thank y'all for coming out. And let's talk to Blake and What's happening? How y'all doing? Good. Oh, we're going to have to try on. that again. I don't think my shit, is my shit on? Yeah. Is it on? It's on. Y'all can hear? I can barely hear myself. I'm can you turn this mic up a little bit? Yeah, just somebody a turn the mic up a little bit. I'll be talking louder too. All right, how y'all doing again? We let's try that again. Yo, yo, there we go. All right, all right. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> sure. cracking. How y'all doing? Y'all look amazing. Hello, black people in this motherfucker. Keeping it hello, black. Super late to be in Chicago. Um, yeah, I got like mixed emotions. I yeah, mean, we, I mean, we've been through a lot. Honestly, our first like ten minutes here. I'm skeptical <laughs> how I would have started this because I'm like, damn, I can end the podcast before we even started because y'all might want to fuck me up after this hot take that I have. We had some hot takes on Twitter when we got here and people was like, oh shit, yeah, y'all gonna get ran out of Chicago talking the way y'all talking. <laughs> I got a lot of love and respect for Chicago. This is my oh, first time. Definitely. Yeah, this is my first time out here. Um, but if you be on the internet, you feel me? Grew up. I feel like it, it, it remind me a lot of Oakland. Uh, just like when I think about Chicago, I think about black shit. Like I see black people when I when I think about Chicago. And growing up in Oakland, you see a lot of black folks. Not so not not as many right now, but you know. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of it. We so, got a lake too. It's kinda small though in comparison. It's called Lake Merritt. It don't smell good, but you know, we be getting popping over there. So when since I see the similarities between Oakland and um Chicago, naturally, I'ma take Chicago people's advice. It's uh, I would like to think that black folks tend to know what they're talking about when it comes to food. And we both like food. Like, we fuck up some wings, you feel me? Like, we cuss. We gonna cuss throughout this shit, so yeah, that's just how it's gonna be. But. Yeah, so on the way over here, I'm like, damn, am I gonna address this shit? And I guess I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in it right now, so I might as well dive all the way into it. But Chicago is a beautiful place. I got a lot of things going for y'all. But Harold's is not one of them. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna say that right now. Harold's. Y'all fuck with Harold's in here? We went to the one off 87. How did I go to the Is 87 not the one to go to? Off 87. It is. So what are you niggas saying? Like, what? <laughs> we literally took a lift like 25 minutes from where we stand for the chicken. Like, we were really serious about Harold's. Like, everybody talk about Harold's. Like, Freddie Gibbs made a song about Harold's. Bro, my own brother, this nigga has never been to Chicago a day in his life. I'm asking, I'm like, where should I go eat at? This nigga said Harold's. I'm like, nigga, you've never been there. That's how, that's how, that's how large the reputation of Harold's is. Is it got niggas who ain't never even been there, speaking on it, and advising folks to go visit the shit. And you know, I should have known better when, when I ordered, I ordered, um, I think I ordered the fish and wings, right? See, it's about to order. Let me explain. Let me explain. Can I explain real quick? When I went on Google, the shit said like seafood and chicken shack. Why wouldn't I get fish? Why wouldn't I? Shit, we ain't in Oakland. In Oakland, you be ordering a fish and you go to the hood spot, the hood chicken spot. In Oakland, when something says seafood and chicken, I'm gonna get seafood Seafood and and chicken. chicken. See, now niggas got all these other recommendations, (laughs) all this other advice. Where was this shit at when it was 11 o'clock at night and I'm in a $35 lift to fucking Harold's? My shit was drowning in that mild sauce. The mild sauce was good, but like my chicken was waterboarded. Like that shit was really just drowning in chicken. But that shit was not cool at all. <laughs> it, it was wild, man. So again, like like I said, Chicago is a beautiful place. 
Y'all got a lot of shit going for y'all. That shit beautiful out here. The water hella blue. I was like, damn, we in Miami right now. We woke up like, damn. I don't know if y'all been to Miami, but I swear to God, like, where we staying at, off like Lakeshore, this shit looks like South Beach. Like, it reminds me about Miami a lot. I'm like, oh, it's fucking beautiful out here. And then you go outside, I'm cold as shit. Yeah. Man. It's warm too today, right? Yeah. No. Who said no? On the ride, on the ride over here, we in the car, and they're like, yeah, it's gonna be a beautiful 55 degrees today. <laughs> I said, hell no. <laughs> Nigga, what? 55 degrees. Like in Oakland, people wear like full ass like sweatsuits at 70 degrees. Like it really 100%. be like you be some sweats. Like just like I'm dressed now, you'd be dressed like that. 70 degrees. I don't know. Maybe we wild. Nah, but we're not trying to give you a hard time. I'm, I'm, I'm hella grateful to be in Chicago. Hella grateful to be in this space. Um, Want to say thank you to all the folks that made it possible for us to get here. Yeah, can we give a round of applause to everybody who made this happen? Because I know it's hard, especially like as students going to school, you know, working a job, be able to organize, organize things like this. And we know that, you know, institutions like this or historically white institutions, they don't support black people at all. So for able, you know, to bring us out here, you know, that, that means a lot to us for real. Like to coming from the Bay Area, coming from Oakland, all the way to be out here in Chicago, like it's shit. This shit nuts. Like, I'm very grateful. I'm very happy to be here, for sure. We both are. Yeah, super grateful, super appreciative. And um, for those that aren't familiar with Hella Black, uh, we want to go ahead, before we even start the podcast, just let y'all know this is a safe and inclusive space for all black people, all black folks. And I'm not familiar with the campus, but I'm assuming all y'all go here. So if you're not with that, you know, inclusive politic, that revolutionary politic, you can find a door. I don't know where it's at, but somewhere around this month. <laughs> some big doors. So if you're not about the liberation of all black folks, you know, go ahead and see the door. Because yeah. for the next, the next hour or so, that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, it doesn't mean you don't got to learn. You feel me? Like, if you, you're willing to learn, that's what we're about, too. You feel me? When we say Black Lives Matter, we're talking about all of us. You feel me? Black poor folks, black queer folks, you feel me? The whole black community is what we're talking about. Like, if we're talking about liberation, it can't just be a pick and choose. Like, oh. Only black straight men gonna get liberated, nah, bro. That shit don't work like that. That ain't liberation. That's just another form of oppression. You feel me? So we talking about all of us. So that's that's the space we want to curate. You feel me? And that's the space that we gonna talk about today. And that's the politics that we got. So, you know, rock with us. You feel me? Learn with us, and we trying to learn from y'all too. And we gonna ask y'all to like participate. That's the kind of conversations. It ain't trying to be like we just talking at you. We want to be inclusive. You feel me? Where. We talking back. If you like something we say, snap. I already hear some snaps. You know, we on the college campus, snap. If you don't like what we saying, you know, just keep it quiet till after we can talk for sure. <laughs> nah, um, in addition to how Trash Heralds was, another another thing that Blake and I talked about, because we, we've done like multiple live podcasts, right? And um, I don't know, we, we've done some on college campuses, but also just within our community in Oakland. And I don't know, I figured this would be like a good icebreaker. I figured when we, when we come to college campuses, that's when I tend to get a little nervous because I, um, unfortunately, we spoke at mostly all PWIs so far, and I, uh, I don't consider myself like when you, if you know about Hella Black, this shit kind of just started out of a fucking garage for real, with us just wanting to, you know, um, tell more stories and like enter into enter into a medium that niggas in Oakland wasn't really in. Like a lot of people were writing this shit in Oakland, but a lot of motherfuckers wasn't like fucking with podcasts at the time. So it, it really came from us wanting to step into a medium that wasn't the norm in our city. And for us to be like speaking at college and college campuses and shit now in front of all y'all academics, it's a little, it can be a little scary for me. Cause like I was a student athlete, my nigga. Like it was, if y'all know <laughs> We that, both, both were student athletes. Like. Both of us was division one student athletes. So y'all know how that come. Like they say student athlete, but you an athletic student for real. So like sports was, was my main focus. So I never considered my, myself an intellect. So when I come into like these kind of spaces, I'd be a little nervous for real, especially coming to the University of Chicago. Like I, from what I heard about this place, it's um, I guess prestigious or whatever. Yo, yo. <laughs> I, I guess it would be considered prestigious. So I'm like, fuck. Um, when I get in a space like this, I'd be a little nervous sometimes. Cause as you can see, as we talk, I use a bunch of slang. You know what I'm saying? Like nigga come in sweats and J's and shit. So I, I'd be like trying to be my most authentic self. Um, so I, I was a little nervous about that. Me and Blake talked about it and shit. So I think like entering this space. If it's one thing I had to tell myself today before we got up here was just like, damn, like, regardless of who I am, regardless if I fit the, the norm or the standard, whatever that standard is, it's usually some white supremacist standard. It's usually some white supremacist norm. Uh, you feel me? My, my thoughts matter. My shit matter. And I'm sure y'all might, might deal with that sometimes when y'all step into this space, right? Step into these classrooms. I just got told, I think like 5% of the undergrad population here is black. So I know y'all stepping into these classrooms, being the only people of color, being the only black folks in there. And if y'all got them kind of thoughts, um, 
I want y'all to know like y'all shit do matter. Y'all got value to add to the classroom. Y'all got value to add to these spaces. And you know, that's something I'm still dealing with right now, 26 years old, speaking at college campuses, just having to remind myself of the value that I got to offer these spaces. So I just wanted to reiterate that message. And I don't know if you want to. Yeah, because even though these spaces aren't for us, like we still here rocking. You know what I'm saying? Hello Black Podcast still happening. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, I think it's really important to just know your worth outside of these white supremacist values. And I feel like colleges and a lot of, a lot of like prestigious colleges, if that's what, you know, they want to call them. I'm just like, they try to indoctrinate you, tell you how to think, tell you how to talk, tell you how to dress and try to almost make you become part of the, the status of the, of the university. Right. So they want to indoctrinate you, tell you, all right, you got to be like this, go get this job. Don't care about your people and just become, you know, that special one, you know? So I know for myself, I went to uh, UC Berkeley and that's another quote unquote prestigious university uh, named after a slave owner, George Berkeley, like hell with slave owner monuments and shit in Berkeley. And Berkeley's supposed to be this like, you know, progressive place. They say the Bay Area, Oakland, oh, it's so progressive. Like, you know, all, all black lives matter. It's like, nah, that's not really what Berkeley it is. Hate. Yeah, like Berkeley united against hate, Oakland united against hate, but Y'all just like bought a house from someone who just got evicted. And now you're saying like, oh yeah, anti-gentrification. No, you are the gentrifier. That's how I'll be out there. It'd be wild. But I know for me going to Berkeley, I was like, it's still weird sometimes to be doing like public speaking engagements. I've still, I've done a few and I still just feel like nervous sometimes before. And I think that's also like when I was a student at Cal, I was like, I was afraid to raise my hand and afraid to talk. Like I would get like anxiety just to even speak just because everybody in the room is white. I'm an athlete on top of that, and it's like, they judge you for being an athlete. Like, oh yeah, you just you just got in because you could play sports. Yeah, I could play sports, but I'm still smarter than you, for real. We can go toe to toe on the field and in the classroom. So we just want to acknowledge you, feel me, like what it means to be like a black student, a black person on this campus. I'm sure it ain't easy, you know? It can be super isolating, even though you're in a black neighborhood, right? So now we're going to dive into it. and. Um how many of y'all listen to Hello Black? It's okay if you don't. Don't be ashamed. Oh, okay. We're going to get some new listeners by the end of this. I don't even listen to the motherfucker for real. Yeah, for real. <laughs> <laughs> them niggas trash, for real. I'm <laughs> fucking them niggas, man. If you see them niggas telling me, man, it's on sight. <laughs> don't, don't be ashamed if you don't listen. I don't listen to this shit. So, you know, it's all love. But usually what we do for like our first segment, our first segment is like we have this piece called Black Joy. You want to like give a little? Yeah. So Black Joy for us is really just trying to choose joy. You know, like. This world can be hella tough. All these things going on, all these, you know, systems of oppression. You go on social media, it's, you know, another killing, another injustice, another, everything is going on. Your own life can be, have different difficulties going on. So we think it's really important to have joy and to find joy in these moments. You know, even when things are hard, right, to find joy in that moment. So one thing we do on this podcast is really try to center our own joy, you feel me? And like center our own happiness in a way, and so we talk about black joy. So we try to have like black joy moments on the podcast where we try to center our joy and speak about that, yeah. so. So Blake and I will like kick it off, but if we can get like one to two people to also come up here and spread some black joy, you know, we really appreciate it. I also understand like, you know, if public speaking ain't your thing, like none of y'all gotta come up here if y'all, that's how y'all feeling, but it will be nice to get everybody involved. Um, I don't know if you wanna kick it off, I can't. I'm trying to think what Put I Put me on the spot. Um, being out of Chicago, though, for real, like, I came here maybe four or five years ago when I was still a student, and, like, just to be out here doing a podcast, doing something I love, doing something I'm passionate about, like, that shit hella beautiful, you know, just never thinking, like, especially the t time I was out here last time, like, I was just in a different position in life, you know, so to have a, a time to reflect, to be like, oh, damn, I'm here doing something I love, you know, with my good friend out here, like, that shit just brought me hella joy, and I'm trying to recognize those moments and celebrate myself in those moments because sometimes it's like even as you go on and do things doing more things you forget to find joy in the midst of the thing you're doing you know and the whole time you'd be dreaming about like oh shoot i'm trying to do this one day you know so like just being in here being in chicago off some shit we just really just started off a conversation like the was really like are you trying to start a podcast i was like i don't even really know what that shit is for real but you know i had an iphone so i had the podcast app i was like all right yeah it's good you know so to be able to be here a few years later talking Y'all came to hear us talk. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't even want to hear myself talk. Shit. But yeah, just being out here in Chicago, that shit hella lit. So I appreciate y'all for, for rocking with us for sure. I'm going to be honest. Can y'all hear me? Because I feel I can't hear myself. And we have, y'all can hear me. All right. Um, I do so much black shit that it's kind of hard to keep track of it. But recently I went out with my mom um, 
to 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 dinner. I want to say that was, and my mom, she um, we like, I wouldn't say like super close in age, but she had me when she was seventeen. So I kind of feel like we like grew up together for real. Um, she was definitely an authoritative figure, but I also view her as like one of my closest friends type shit. So I always I like uh, super value the moments when me and her get to just link up and fuck around, have drinks, whatever, eat whatever we doing. So I, we went out to dinner uh, like a couple days ago. And she recently went to Jamaica. She's in Spain right now on a cruise, but she went to Jamaica like a week ago. And she was telling me about the trip that her and my auntie had. And it was just wild, it's like, um, like I've, I've known her since for me she was 17 years old. And I think about like when I came into contest, so probably I can remember like our earliest memories, like 20 type shit. But to see my mom from 20 to, um, I wanna say she turned like 45 on Monday, I think. Like to just see her having so much joy, having so much fun, like, you know, traveling the world and shit. It definitely gave me something to um, to like strive for, and I see my mom go through like a, a bunch of tough shit. Like I'm sure we all have seen our family members go through. So like to see her experiencing that happiness and experience that joy, and like she in Spain right now by herself to the neck, fucking around. <laughs> it's, it's wild. I don't even know if I got the, the heart to go do that shit by myself. She don't um, even speak Spanish, does she? The only thing she, he asked me, they like, does she does she speak Spanish? I'm like, shit, I don't even know. <laughs> that reminds me, like, damn, she really just took a risk. Like, you go into a whole mother, a whole other motherfucking place where you don't know what language they speak and none of this shit. But um, yeah, to see my mom out here living her best life for real, rocking, having hella fun and shit, that that brings me a lot of joy. Uh, so yeah, I'm juiced for her. For sure. Living through her and shit. Yeah, that's what's up. Two of y'all want to come up here, come share a joy moment, a joy moment they had this week. Y'all got fifty five degree weather. I'm oh yeah, sure come up, come up here. Yeah, the sun's out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no snow on the ground. If you could just introduce yourself and then tell your tell your black joy moment. Congratulations. We got some real black presidents out here. Oh, shit. <laughs> some real, oh, I said real shit. black presidents. Oh, shit. <laughs> Spicy in this buffer. Can we get I one more person? Shade. So anyone else want to come up and talk about that moment? For sure, it was good. Hi, I'm Bray. Um, I'm a fourth year in the college, and I recently got a job. Very excited about it. Yeah. Get that money, secure that bag, for real. working at the National Institute of Health for a black man. Okay. Get that degree. I think one thing that's so beautiful about Black Joy is like oftentimes it's so collective too. So like even we have our individual accomplishments, it's like everybody ever here like gassing each other up. Like that shit, hella beautiful. Like, you know, for the person to come up and talk about like, you know, black student government officials getting elected and that's their joy moment. Like that's how, you know, and Delancey talking about his mama, you feel me? Like and her his mom having joy and bring him joy. I think that's what's the essential part of Black Joy is that that shit is collective. It ain't individual. It ain't on that white shit. It's about collectivism. You feel me? So we really, we really rocking. Um, yeah, go ahead. Appreciate y'all for sharing. Um, a point that was made, I guess, like during our introduction is in addition to the Hella Black podcast, we also run a free breakfast program. 
which is People's Breakfast Oakland. And we started this, I wanna say two years ago. And again, it came from, Blake and I had just removed ourselves from an organization that we were working with out in the Bay Area. And, you know, after removing ourselves from that space, trying to figure, all right, nigga, how can we be even more effective? You know what I'm saying? We don't have as many resources as we did with that whole group of people that we were working with, with that whole organization. But we got two, me, we got me and him, two passionate people, two people from the community that have the desire to make a difference. Like, what's some shit we could do? And I think at the time, I had just finished um, uh, Huey P. Newton's autobiography, Revolutionary Suicide. Yeah. That's an autobiography, right? Yeah. I, I, had ju I had just finished that book. And it's so like the Panthers was like super heavy on my mind. And with Blake and I both having family that was uh, in, the, in the party, I'm like, nigga, we should. I think like the first, I think what most folks remember the, in Oakland, what we remember the Panthers for is like their school and their free breakfast program. I think what like the masses remember the Panthers for is like carrying guns, which is like, you feel me? Super a necessity. And we'll talk <laughs> about that later on in the podcast. But I'm like, before they was even strapped up and super militant, they was taking care of the best necessities for their people. So I'm like, all right, my nigga, we're going to take this shit back to the basics. How can we really, you know, be a resource for our people? I'm like, nigga, let's feed people. And that yeah. was like, that was, our, that was the first conversation that we had. And two years later, it ended up turning to um, People's Breakfast Oakland, where we've, I don't know, like the last time we did the fucking math, which is like a year ago or some shit, I think we had fed like 5,000 people. We had given out like thousands of clothes and hygiene packs and shit, right? For sure. Um, so shout, again, shout out to all of our volunteers, because the shit wouldn't happen without us. It don't even matter if me and him had the conversation. We're not packing up all the hygiene packs. We're not cooking all the food. We're not serving it. So um, shout out to all our volunteers that also serve as a resource to the community. But yeah, yeah, People's Breakfast started based on just wanting to meet the bare necessities of the folks in our community. Facts. Yeah. So everybody want to talk about revolution. You know, people say revolution, people say Black Lives Matter, but a lot of times it's a very classist view of who's Black Lives Matter, right? So, you know, both of us coming from student organizing spaces, like specifically black student organizing spaces, for us, like, it was very elitist in a lot of ways, you know? So we're over here, you know, in West Oakland, about to record a podcast, and there's black folks, you know, over the age of 50, living outside. You feel me? It's like, I haven't really seen too many houseless people out here, but like in Oakland, it's everywhere throughout the city. You know, you have big houseless camps, you know, everywhere throughout, throughout Oakland, throughout San Francisco, in the Bay Area. And for us, we're like, damn, how can we say that Black Lives Matter and then we just walking past black people every day who need our help the most that are not just students, right? So like, we talking about a revolution, we gotta really also center the most the, the, you know, the people who was really most impacted by this white supremacist capitalist patriar patriarchal society. You feel me? And those were people living on the streets. So we was like, all right, we got to figure something out. Let's feed people, you know. And then looking at the history of our own families, you know, having the Black Panther Party in our families, all right, all right, let's just start simple. We can't talk about revolution if you hungry. Like, ain't nobody want to organize on an empty stomach. You feel me? So that was our first thing was like, how do we send to the most people, you know, who are impacted? And the people in Oakland, who are houseless is 95, I would say 95% black. They did, they, yeah, they did a study recently. They did a study, I think one of the, um, it was mentioned like in a recent article, and it was for sure over 90% of the folks in those um, houseless encampments were, were, were black folks, and they were elder black folks, like you said. I remember we met, I met somebody um, at a program once, and she had went to like high school with like dinner, like my fucking. She was like older than my grandmother, you know what I'm saying? So it might have been like around the same age as my great grandma, like 80 years old on the streets, bro. It was crazy. Like that shit, like, and that, that's why I think um, like community organizing and like grassroots organizing is so important. Cause I'm pretty sure y'all got people that come into this, to this space, come into this, this university, um, black folks, folks that claim to be about the movement, claim to be about the people, you know, picking up the bag, speaking their shit, pushing their own agenda, whatever that might be. But the Van Jones of the world. I don't know if y'all listen to Van yeah, Jones. It's a lot of motherfuckers. We can go on and on. You know, like it, the list. The list goes on of, of people that's supposed to be, you know, representing the black community, representing the most oppressed and marginalized people. Right. Not all your skin is your kin, for real. A hundred percent. But I, what people at breakfast has taught me, what I try to keep, like hold me, hold me and Blake accountable, is like, um, it's important to do that grassroots organizing, because like, how you gonna claim to serve? a to serve, to serve a community, to serve a people, but you're never amongst them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I think like claiming to speak for a whole group of people, claiming to speak for a whole demographic without ever tying yourself to them people, without, without ever uh, spending time with them people, that's some elitist shit. And 
I'm trying to figure out the other word I'm trying to I'm trying to think of. But yeah, bro, like yeah, yeah, not not so much hypocritical, but it's like it's I guess it's bullshit. <laughs> See, that's like, what we meant when we said we just gonna talk how we talk. Yeah, you know, we don't gotta put a big ass word on it, nigga. That shit just bullshit for like, real. How you gonna Capitalism is yeah. bullshit. This shit, racism, that shit bullshit. It's for the birds. How bro. you gonna claim to serve somebody but you never would? How the fuck I'm gonna know what you need if I'm never with you? I'm gonna tell you what you need though. I'm gonna tell you what you need. That's some that's a that's some that's some privilege that shit. That's and, a privilege that standpoint, right? And even for us being out there, like we come with privilege too, because we all you know we all are sheltered. So for us, it's about removing our own ego, too, from our organizing and asking them, like, what do you need? Right? All right, y'all don't like our soap. All right, for sure. We're going to try some other soap. Yeah. You know, and just, like, really listening and seeing them as a part of your community. Like, that's, I, that's the way I view these folks is they are a part of our community. That's my community. So when they be getting evicted off the sidewalk, that's my, that's my community getting evicted off the sidewalk. Yeah. I ain't looking down. Like, we, we amongst... Yeah, and allyship can go to a nigga head because you start getting in that savior complex shit. And um, it's just like, you start thinking you know what's best for somebody. And I just feel like if, you, if you're if you gonna help somebody, you should let them tell you how they want to be helped. It was like a situation, I remember when we first started people's breakfast, I right? was like, oh shit, niggas need to be clean. So we getting, um, I can't remember if it was the liquid soap or the bar soap that they wasn't fucking with, but they was like, yo, to use this shit, we need water, my nigga. And it was like, intention don't mean nothing. You know what I'm saying? We, had, we might've had the, the, the um, the right intentions, but we wasn't listening to them. You know what I'm saying? We never, we, we fuck listening. We never even asked. You know what I'm saying? And that's what that's what community organizing and grassroots organizing has taught me. You put yourself amongst the people, you are gonna really figure out what they need. And if you're able to use your privilege to give them what they need, then that's real allyship. Facts. And as like student organizers, which I'm sure you all are, which is why y'all in this space listening to what we got going on, because we trying to, you know, hype motherfuckers up, get motherfuckers to do some shit that's gonna shift the culture. Um, if you're gonna be an organizer. An activist, whatever buzzwords you want to use, you got to make sure you're immersing yourself amongst the demographic that you claim to serve, because they're going to be able to tell you exactly what they need. So I think the key thing is really just listening to people. Listen to people you're serving. If you ain't listening to them, you ain't serving. You're just telling them what they need, you know? So, like, that's why we're very critical, too, even of ourselves, right? So, like, asking ourselves, like, all right, how we remove our own ego from this? How we, you know, take criticism from folks and build off that criticism? I think that's a very important part of community organizing because a lot of times people are like, oh, you just need this. Or people have this, you know, talented tenth idea of what to do. I'm like, if you really read Du Bois, who came up with that talented tenth shit, he wasn't fucking with that shit either towards the end of his life. He's like, man, I was on some fuck shit back then. Like, that shit don't come from the top down. You know, so when we really talk about revolution, you feel me, we, we talking about from the bottom up. You feel me, when we say all of us and none of us, we talking about all of us. You feel me? And we really, part of it is about education. So like the podcast and the breakfast program, like for, for us, it's like interlinked, you know? So it's like, it's important for us not to just talk about these things. Cause in my opinion, if you're just talking about it, but you ain't doing it, that's like the, that's the academy. Oh, you could talk all this intellectual shit. You can use these big words. You could juxtapose this against that, but man, what are you doing with the shit you just researched? It should, have been, it should be about practice, right? The theory is good, but if you ain't practicing, it's just theory. Hello? I don't know. Really <laughs> um, I be dogging the academy, but I work in the academy too. But it's, it's, it's trash. But well, you, can, you can use these tools. I think that's the biggest thing is really using the tools yes. here for liberation of your people. But don't, be, don't think you better just because you're in the academy, is my view. Because they want you to think that way, like, oh shoot, you know, I got this UC Berkeley ID, I'm better than you. It's like, nah, we amongst the people. Like my nigga Ansa, it's a place for everybody in the movement. So we ain't gonna just sit up here and dog the academy, but we do gotta call out its flaws and the privilege that comes with being in this space. So again, don't just, like, you looking at two niggas that graduated from college, I ain't gonna just <laughs> knock the academy 100%. And we want y'all to graduate too, we ain't saying, you know, just drop all your shit and just power to the people. Nah, it's like, you know, do what you gotta do, you feel yeah, me? But, but just, just don't forget to get back and be a part of the people. Yeah. So shout out to y'all, y'all still fucking with us? Y'all not, not out there? <laughs> I don't like, know. Uh, fuck, they talking shit. Like. <laughs> uh, pivoting, I'm thinking about the one thing we don't have in common. So, yeah, there's a bunch of things that I've, that Blake has, has like hit me to, of like the, the similarities between Oakland and Chicago. We know the number one thing is chicken. We don't have that similarity. That's out. <laughs> like, that's out. I'm going to keep this in Harold's toilet, this motherfucker. <laughs> that's just, that's just what I'm going to keep this in Harold. But he said he was gonna really tweet his real thoughts once we leave Chicago, but you know, it's all coming out now. Harold's is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, but when I was talking, when I, when I, when, I, when we first touched down, I'm like, damn, bro, like this shit hella remind me of the Bay. Like, what the fuck? Um, and he like, yeah, bro, we got a lot of similarities, a lot of shit that motherfuckers wouldn't know. Like our current police chief was once the police chief of Chicago, right? It's up, higher up in the administration, and Kirkpatrick or some shit like that. I don't know that name. Yeah, she the police chief in Oakland. Oakland been had hella police chiefs in the past like four years. Like they really had three or four police chiefs in one week because they was all tied to a human trafficking scandal in Oakland. I'm sure Chicago PD got some scandals too, right? Oh yeah. I'm saying like we talking about the two most notorious, in my opinion, most notorious departments in the country. Niggas dismantled the Panthers. No. We like sister cities for real. Yeah. Trash. <laughs> In terms of the police department. Yeah, fuck the police, man. Fuck 12, man. We got to get rid of the motherfuckers. You feel me? That's there ain't no good cop. Like people want to talk about good police. Like, oh, we need, we just need more. You know, some. <laughs> I had a black man come up to me and say, we need more brothers in the police department. I said, yeah, all right. That's the last thing we need. That's the last thing. That like, is literally the last thing. We and need. if you look at the research. We had a research institutionist, research one institution. Black cops be killing black people at the same rate as white cops. So why the fuck would we want more black cops? Because it ain't the skin, it's the suit, my nigga. That, that blue, blue suit line. everything, bro. Oh yeah, they took off the you know they took off the hood, put on the blue suit. That's what Malcolm said, you know. Fuck twelve, but for real, yeah. So OPD had hella different police chiefs, and then you, you get a police chief from Chicago, and we know everything that's been going on in Chicago. So it's like, all right, you doing bashing in Chicago? All right, come over to Oakland, we'll accept you over here, and it's vice versa. So these cops that be doing all this bullshit, then they go to another city and continue doing bullshit. There ain't no uh, systems of accountability for the police. They want to say, oh yeah, we'll get a citizens review board. That shit ain't got no power. And you know, you have a, a cop's brother on the board supervising everything. So we, we see a lot of similarities, especially, you know, out here just thinking about like, you know, Fred Hampton, you feel me? And thinking about the Black Panther Party and seeing that shit starting in Oakland, you feel me? And being out here in Chicago and just knowing that history, especially the Panthers, you know, starting in Oakland, you know, Will Bobby Hutton, 16 years old, first recruit, shot and killed, assassinated by Oakland police. You know, we're here in Chicago where Fred Hampton was shot, killed, and assassinated with Chicago police. Right, so these systems of oppression we're talking about when we're talking about police, like how do you say a good cop when the foundation of policing is slave patrols? Is there good slave patrols? Nah. That shit don't add up. But okay, let's have some good cops. We don't fuck with that shit. That shit ain't radical. <laughs> oh, we can reform the police. Well, we have reformed the police, and this is what the police are doing right now. Reform has gotten us the police departments that we see today. So why the fuck are you gonna reform them? You know, and people talk about district attorneys. That shit make me so sick. Hey, what's what's her elect a progressive district attorney? Like what the fuck is I, I, like what does that mean, bro? Like what is a what is a progressive district attorney? I don't know. You get fifteen instead of twenty. We can get a progressive slave master. That's what it is. If we understand the system. Instead of a hundred lashes, you get fifty. They still lashes. At the end of the day. So if we really understand in the system, you feel me, and we understand the prisons as an extension of a plantation, right? Because that's what we view them as. If you look at the 13th Amendment, we all familiar with the 13th Amendment? So if you commit a crime, you're subjected to involuntary servitude. That just means slavery. And just in fancy white words, like that's shit is slavery. So if we look at prisons today, there's more black people, specifically more black men incarcerated, you know, under correctional control. Shout out to uh, Michelle Alexander, right? And that was enslaved. So we see this form of police in this system of incarceration as a new form of slavery. So how the fuck do you have a good district attorney? The primary role of a district attorney is to incarcerate, enslave, so that black people produce, you feel me? Everything for the society. All these bombs that be being dropped, like all this shit in the fucking prisons, like people who are incarcerated be building all this shit, all these bombs, all these military equipment. A lot of this should be coming from being people being incarcerated. So that's like a free labor being used to advance this imperialist system. So when we talk about Palestine, we gotta understand these connections. 
You feel me? So free Palestine. We just saw some wild shit on Twitter earlier. We was talking about At NYU. Yeah, they having the whole Zionist rave. Yeah, and that that shit what, what, what caught my eye is like what I've learned about like white supremacy and imperialism. Right, is they try to mask it as like strictly white faces, but that shit got many faces, bro. And that's what we we try to you know uh, tie into the all all skin ain't your kin type shit. Cause I also seen you know a bunch of non-white folks out there celebrating Zionism. You know what I'm saying? So it's um and what, what all this shit kind of taught me is that our oh like white supremacy isn't you know unique to us, which is why the revolution has to be across borders, bro. Like period, point blank. Cause these borders that was created, you feel me? That's a result of colonization. White people stealing land, saying, okay, this is the border. You. You take one step over here, you're in a different part. You take one step over here, you're in another part. And we're going to fight over that. That's colonialism, right? Like, colonialism, bro, is global, my nigga. So, therefore, the revolution has to be global. You feel what I'm saying? I think a lot of times we think that, um, again, like, our oppression and our, mar and our marginalization is, like, unique to us. And that's not the case at all. So, if we got imperialism that's global, it's, it's, it's super important that the... Um, the work that we do, the revolution that we lead, is also global, and like so, I'm thinking about how how um, how similar Oakland and Chicago are, and that's why it's, it's important to have spaces like this. We all going through this. We talking about how literally y'all police chief is now our police chief, my nigga. The same shit that was going on out 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 here. Oh, we talking about y'all had like torture sites out here in Chicago. So somebody who was involved with that is now coming to is now coming to Oakland. That shit don't make no sense. Uh, uh, but it do if you understand white supremacy, because that's how that it shit It make total work. sense. It make total sense. Like it's, and again, like, this, I'm, I'm, it, it's so wild to know that these motherfuckers is going just from, like, just packing their bags up. Like that, but that's literally how like, colonization works, though. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Just pack your shit up and go from one place to another. Be a colonial leader in a new city. And that's what, that's what she is, you know? So we say not all skin is your kin, but we also know people who look like us ain't for us either. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we we in Chicago, so I think it's very fitting that we talk about, you know, who's our past president, Barack Obama? I'm just trying to be careful because I'm trying to make it home safe. Who in here fuck with this nigga before I say what I got to say? <laughs> got quiet up here. That's what I'm saying. Like, that, like if we would have been in Oakland, niggas would have started booing. You know what I'm saying? Like, niggas is booing, bro. We said that shit, and I, I remember we had our first live podcast in Oakland. My auntie's sitting right in front. You feel me? She looking at me just like, she my great auntie, too, at that. You know, she like, hmm, he talking my, about. My grandma has a <laughs> painting of her and Obama in her front room. That's how I knew we, when we was at Harold's too, they had a painting too. They had, they had Obama. They had Obama. <laughs> uh, Mandela. <laughs> uh, Martin Luther King. And Malcolm. And Malcolm. And Malcolm. In the Oasis. So like, they looked like they was at King's Landing or some shit. They was all just chilling. I don't know. Oh, it, was, like, oh, <laughs> it was like, that was heaven. Yeah, that was heaven. They was just rocking. I'm like, damn. Malcolm would not have fucked with Obama. At all. And Same with Martin. Yeah, I'm like, But we want to talk about Martin as like, oh, this nonviolent, you know, like, turn the other cheek. Like, if we understand him, he has straps too. That's propaganda, my nigga. It's all propaganda. Yeah. That's all that is. And Obama himself was an imperialist. Why did, we, why did Martin Luther King get killed? He was anti-Vietnam. He was anti-capitalism. So once he started speaking about, you know, these systems of oppression, how they work globally, government was like, nah. And the FBI killed him. The same FBI that Obama worked for. But, you know, he's our first black president. I mean, it makes sense, though, if you think about it, right? If your whole life you've been conditioned to view white supremacy as, you feel me, some hillbilly in a fucking cloak, you know what I'm saying? Not as, some redneck. Not as a black man. In America. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you haven't been, if you haven't been taught to recognize white supremacy as a black man in a suit, I mean, you gonna think the nigga joke? Shit, I voted for that nigga for real. Like I ain't even I'm dogging this nigga, but I voted. I was like, I had hope, man. I was drunk off that shit, man. He sold me that hope, man. Like he sold me some fault. You know, he shake LeBron hand. He did a whole dap everything. Playing basketball. Beyonce at the fucking White House. Yeah, I'm gonna believe that shit. I'm voting for that nigga for sure. That's a lot of hope. But then he gonna drop a bomb on you. He gonna say blue eyes matter. Build hell military. Pull your pants up. To the organizers and young activists in Ferguson, Missouri. You know, Baltimore, oh, he should have, you know. For the, for the kids in, um, was it Parkville, was the name of shit? Parkland. Parkland. He'll shed a tear for Parkland, but he won't shed a tear, you know, for Baltimore. He told the black niggas to pull their pants up. Mike Brown, Laquan McDonald, he won't shed a tear for that. Call them niggas thugs. 
Ooh, we y'all looking at us like, oh shit, these niggas don't like Obama. <laughs> That's his hood. He ain't even from Chicago, though. He from Hawaii, right? <laughs> that motherfucker, like, he, I don't know. <laughs> that motherfucker was sipping coconuts for real. <laughs> he, he, he ain't even from, from Chicago. <laughs> what they say, if you look like a duck and talk like a duck and quack like a duck, it's probably a duck. But that's why it's so important to understand, like, this propaganda. You feel me? Especially as we come into this next election. Like, why are they going to put Joe Biden up? Motherfucker weirdo. <laughs> and who's gonna be the vice president? Is it Kamala? Like I think they're gonna put Kamala Harris. Like why the fuck? Like people just rocking for Kamala. I'm just like yo. Because she black. She I'm black. Like, almost did something foul. Hold on. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> she black. She was in the um, sorority. She a uh, AKA. Like <laughs> she has all these credentials. <laughs> like I'm not even trying to talk no shit. Like if you think about it, if we break it down. <laughs> What's that little sound they be making? That's what I was gonna do. That's why I stopped myself. I swear to God, I stopped myself. We gonna have to run out. I really stopped myself. I had. He went to University of Idaho. He don't know about none of that. Chill. You ain't got no black frats over there. Yeah. You don't have none of that. Like. But nah, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you got, you feel me, motherfuckers in. Sororities went to HBCUs, nigga from Chicago. HU, she says she's from Oakland. He could dunk, all type of shit. They want, they want Obama could dunk? That nigga could dunk? I don't I know. I seen a picture of him doing some basketball shit. Some dude dunking. It's probably photoshopped. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> that's, that's why it's super important, uh, even with us, because we ain't we not exempt from this shit. We could turn out to be some total J-Cats a year from now. You can see me, you feel me, in front of a billboard talking about um, reform, and these niggas need to pull their pants up. And we need more expulsions. If we ever say that, please knock us down. And the police protect us and serve us. You know what I'm saying? So that's why it's important to judge motherfuckers by their actions. Because what I'm learning right now as I navigate this world, as I navigate this space, is motherfuckers talk a really good game. Especially people from higher education. They know exactly how to pander to our, our dire need for liberation. Like, they really know how to do that shit. And that's why it's important. I've always been taught that, like, actions lead to results, not talking. You know what I'm saying? If I tell you one thing but I'm doing another, what the fuck do what I say matter? You know what I'm saying? Like actions are important. And as we get into, again, like Blake was saying, this election period, and they're gonna keep pandering these motherfuckers to us, whoever it might be, it's black, white, whatever, whoever it is, they're gonna say shit that um, that makes us wanna fuck with them, right? You think about, um, y'all got another another staple from here, my nigga Kanye West, and um, <laughs> his wife. You know, they, they, they making her the, the next abolitionist damn near. Oh you know what I'm saying? But it's the same. She, she's leading the movement, right? She's leading the movement. For prison abolition. Not to mention all the black folks that have been organizing for this shit since the beginning of the time, right? You know, you but know hey, I got, a, I got a, you know, video camera. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to so start a like, reality TV show. And prison reform, yeah. She's saying, she's saying one thing, but constantly stealing from black creators. Constantly exploiting black people, right? So what do we Probably judge? using black labor to get people out of jail, you know out of prison. Saying? You know. So what do we what do we judge people by? What they represent, what they say, or what they actually do? And I think that's super important as y'all continue to, like I said, grow and navigate this world. It's like judge motherfuckers by what they do and not what they say. People and that's can talk the to easiest talk. way to spot a white supremacist, my nigga. The easiest way. Ooh, shit. That was I don't know. I'm just like damn. Easiest way to spot a white supremacist. There's a lot of people who look like us who be on some white supremacist shit. If you really just Shout look at the actions. Obama, he got a real good Obama impersonation. I don't think he's gonna do it because we all here right I'm now. Chilling. I'm chilling. I'm trying to make it home safe. <laughs> <laughs> but if you really look at Obama's actions, right, he deported more undocumented people than any other president. So everyone want to talk about ICE now since Trump is just very vocal about shit. But Obama was playing chess. He was quiet about it. Funding the police, signing Blue Lives Matter bills. So if you looked at everything that Obama did and judge him by his actions. What would you call him? The time. The time, yeah. That's one word. What else you got? <laughs> Dropped hella drone drone strikes, hella military bases on Africa, expanded that shit. You know what this made me think of, bro? Talk to me. Um, it makes you really think about like black liberalism versus black um, radicalism. Radicalism, right? So we like, be finishing each other's sentences. Like we really be partners for real. What I what I think <laughs> about is like black. Liberalism is like inclusion, like 
That is we can you, include you into white supremacy if yeah, you. Yeah, because like white supremacy is what we talk about with the Zionism shit, right? That she does yeah. with Palestine. If you say pro-Israel, you know you on that black liberal shit. Who is the candidates who are for president right now? Cory Booker, you know he got his PhD in the streets apparently. <laughs> Kamala Harris, <laughs> she the top cop of Oakland, top cop of California, and all of them be at APAC. Booker took hella donations from APAC. He took probably the most out of any Democrat for a year. Yeah. But we say, oh, Cory Booker, you know, he from Newark, New Jersey. We gonna believe that? <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, so like real, 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 real radicalism means uh, like liberation for all people, bro. And like when black, when I realize with black liberals, a lot of these motherfuckers be super anti-LGBTQ. You know what I'm saying? They never acknowledge ableism. They never acknowledge classism. You know what I'm saying? And like if black folks stop buying Jordans, <laughs> not a Gucci why they got all the Gucci belts? Not a Gucci belt in sight. <laughs> But like that's that's what the liberals be pushing, my nigga. And I'm telling you, like, at have the you seen the value of the black dollar? Can you talk the about the black dollar? Black dollars last longer than any other dollar in America. Why is that? If we took the black dollar and put it into the black community, black people would be ten times as strong as they are today. True. I gotta give you some tubmans for real. Come on, nigga. What's, um, get you a rush card. You got that rush card rush for real? Pay off your school loans, my nigga. Go ahead, handle shit. that shit. Thirty percent interest, but you know, get that uncle rush card for real. You be straight. <laughs> hey. Bank black, for real. Bank black, you know what I'm saying? If, <laughs> <laughs> if your bank ain't black, it's whack, for real. Oh, but, you know. But no, on some real shit, right? So you think about, because um, I, I realize a lot of times now, it's like, niggas are, let's just call a spade a spade, right? Like, don't call yourself a black radical, a black revolutionary, if you really are a black liberal, and you just somebody don't want to be included in the white supremacist society, right? Uh, you think about niggas who, who claim to be like pro-black, but again, super anti-LGBTQ. Like, how how you pro-black, my nigga? As if those two things can't be synonymous. You know I'm saying that's we ain't got black queer folks, black trans folks. So like, that's that's super important. I, I feel like a lot of motherfuckers out here pushing this pro-black shit, but they're not for all black people. So how can you be considered a black radical? And again, my nigga, if you're not a black radical, you're not a black radical. Let's just call it what it is. But don't disrespect all the black radicals that came before us. Think about Huey. Like niggas, especially like where I'm from, I had the conversations with niggas so much in Oakland, because again, that's where the Panthers started, right? Like, niggas love Huey. How you love Huey? Huey so much. Like, but hate queer folks, my nigga. How does Y'all didn't even read the letter he wrote, he wrote Have you read being in solidarity books? in 1970s, right? So it's 2019, and y'all say, oh yeah, Huey, the party. I'm like, you don't even read Huey. You possibly can. You just like that he had straps and he had a you know black leather, leather vest. Niggas like to pick and choose what part of the Panthers they fuck with. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I'm like, it's, and you think about um, them niggas was sending fucking was ready to send Panthers over to um, Vietnam. Yeah, was ready to send Panthers over there, my nigga. So again, like, like he was really sending niggas to the Vietnam. Ready, like, like hey, bro, fuck US, America on the dialogues. He said, fuck America for real, for real. I'm finna send Panthers straight to Vietnam to fight against American imperialism. That shit, you feel me? So like, when people talk about black radicalism and try to co-opt it, that shit, I don't know. Especially you know, having family in the party. Like my uncle's still locked down to this day. Jaleel Montaquin, been locked up for 47 years in New York. You feel me? He was 18 years oh, old during the party. Shit. On his oh, hell of black shit. shit. Just like really rocking for me before I was even born. So it's like when I see people trying to uh, co-op this aesthetic of black power, of black radicalism, but they ain't be about black radicalism, man, we finna, we finna talk about it. Because <laughs> y'all really just making money off the movement. If we think about Kim Kardashian, it, it ain't just about black. Everybody really just co-opting this shit. Making money, making hell of money doing all these, you know, $30,000 speaking engagements. But when's the last time you've really been in the field talking about politics? Like Black Lives Matter. Like Van Jones, he's one of the biggest culprits of it. Like, want to play this middleman. Like, oh, yeah, Trump is presidential. Like, what? He was just saying, like, oh, we need to reform all this. Like, reform ain't shit, though. But, like, trying to talk about, oh, yeah. I'm for the people. I'm like, but you talking about what? Trump is cool? Fuck Trump. Fuck all presidents. You a president, you just a, you know, a figurehead of the white supremacist state. Even a black one. So I'm like, you talk about a good president, how can you be a good president on stolen land? That shit don't add up. Like the plane was designed to fly and the car was designed to drive, my nigga. The president is designed to be a white supremacist, oppressive piece of shit. If you're president of America. I'd include Obama too. Fuck that nigga. <laughs> I saw him, yeah. Damn, I 
motherfucking Obama. We're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> hey, talk to me. So thank you. Yeah, we. Yeah. One hundred for sure. <laughs> economics though. Uh, economics is a good point though, for real. Cause like we talk about, I don't know, capitalism. I'm anti-capitalist. Fuck capital. Like I don't really. Economics f- is. Yeah, but also like there really no ethical consumption under capitalism. At the same point, you feel me? So it's like shit. I don't really fuck with capitalism, but man, I got some Nikes on. We're decked out with Nike right now. All of us are decked out with clothes that have probably been consumed, in, uh, created in sweatshops. Yeah, and that's just capitalism for I got an iPhone right here, like that's on some fuck shit. Like Steve Jobs on some fuck shit still. Like there's no really ethical conception. Like, you can really, it's, it's actually real hard though. You know, but I really do think there's alternatives to capitalism, but it's really hard to be ethical under this shit. You can't be, there is no way to be ethical. Especially capitalism. like, you feel me? If thinking about how white supremacy works, it's like, bro, if you, you gotta get, sometimes you gotta get shit as cheap as possible. That's why when I think about like, when I think about black capitalism and black economics, at the end of the day, we exploiting somebody. It might not be ourselves, but we exploiting somebody. Like, I think Jay-Z is a perfect example of a black capitalist <laughs> that be just fucking co-opting the Ain't fuck that, out man. of that shit. This nigga's like, gentrify your own hood before they do. I don't give a fuck about no black gentrifier nigga. Black gentrifier, you feel me? You just like a white person to me. Like, we can still, you feel me? But it's like, oh, okay, you know, it's Hove saying this, so we want to let old gentrify our own communities. He really did, though. That's why, hey, y'all, y'all, y'all we can't listen to everybody with money. <laughs> money and success. They don't need shit. Fame I ain't taking no advice from Kevin Hart. Are not synonymous. <laughs> those three things are not synonymous, synonymous with intelligence or good intentions, my nigga. Like, we just, we can't listen to everybody with money, my nigga. Like, especially someone that's thriving in capitalism. They ain't gonna give you more advice except for how to thrive in this oppressive system, my nigga. And you wanna talk about all this black-owned shit? It's like, nigga, Title ain't even, like, you go to Title office, they had a photo. I'm like, all the motherfuckers white. You ain't even playing old people. But Jay-Z could actually make a big-ass difference in this community if he wanted to. He got clothing and shit. It's like, why don't you open up a store, you feel me, in the hood and hire people from the hood and actually don't take the ownership over and make it a co-op. But then so everybody who working in this shit is actually a part of the ownership. Who we getting these materials and shit from, though? But if we produce it ourselves, it could be a way. At the, at, he at got the, enough money to produce at the, the shit himself. At the root of himself. it, we're, getting, we're exploiting somebody. Somebody. Yeah, Period. that's facts. At the root of it, we're exploiting somebody. That's just, like, that's just what it is. Let's just, like, again, let's just call it what it is, my nigga. At oh, the root of this shit, if, if, we, if we 
if we're going to immerse ourselves into this capitalist, capitalistic society, we're going to exploit someone. They might not be black, but I, yeah, they might not be black, but we exploit somebody. And is that revolutionary? Is that radical? Should even be an American, you know? You got privilege. <laughs> you say, I don't think it's white. Who? Beyonce? Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Who's talking about Jay Z? I'm talking about his wife. Oh, shit. Hey, the beehive really finna rock, man. The beehive's the beehive strapped up, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Well, yeah, you know, just get, get us back, you know, where we rock it. Uh, we really, I don't know, I think, uh, you know, Nipsey, Nipsey had a, a kind of a good blueprint, you know, he he wasn't perfect by no means, for sure, but. He was a black capitalist, too. I think he was on some cooperative shit, though. Like, really, he was employing his own people, employing his own hood, giving niggas ownership over their own shit. You feel me? Like, Jay-Z was more so on some, like, this is just mine. You feel me? Like, Jay-Z, you know, ain't tapped in like the way Nip is. Nip was, you feel me? Like, no, 100%. really starting his own shit, putting his own people on, creating his own businesses, and giving his people ownership over that. For what it seems like to me, it's like Jay was starting shit, but then partnering with white folks. Yeah. Some Illuminati shit. Well, something I want you to get into before we like transition to like the QA portion is yeah. something I think you're like super versed in. And we were talking earlier with some of the students, um, and they, they started to organize for shit on campus at this white institute, at this racist institute. So I think it's, you should definitely touch on like the importance of student activism and your experience with that. Yeah, so um, a lot of my work and my introduction into organizing came out of black student activism at UC Berkeley. So, you know, around the time of Michael Brown and, you know, Black Lives Matter when the movement was really, you know, kind of being started. Uh, so folks from Ferguson came to Cal and it was like, what y'all doing? It was like Tef Poe, some other folks came like, y'all ain't doing shit basically called us out, like, are y'all gonna protest, y'all gonna do something, you feel me, all this shit's happening in Ferguson, y'all supposed to be right next to Oakland, what y'all finna do? Like, all right, bet, for sure, we gonna, we gonna take y'all call out and we gonna do something with it. So we shut down um, one of the main campus eateries where everybody go get to get food, it's called the GBC, and we shut that down for four and a half hours to be in solidarity with Mike Brown, and be in solidarity with people in Ferguson, because Mike Brown's body was laid out in the street for four and a half hours. So we shut down campus and then we're also like, damn, Berkeley don't really got shit for black people like that. Like we have a, a African-American student development office with like two staff people, but that's the only thing that we had. So we made, we made 10 demands for institutional change. And one of the most important demands was demanding for a black resource center um, that we have today. It's called the Fannie Lou Hammer Black Resource Center. So we protested, organized, and fought for these 10 demands to make institutional change on the campus so that black students had a place to go. Like, we have a black theme program where black folks could live together, an Afro house where black folks could live together, um, African-American studies department. I like to say black studies, but it's called African-American studies. It's a whole other topic. But, um, you know, we really have some black shit, and a lot of it came at the product of, of student organizing and really making demands. So we made 10 demands. The chancellor looked at us like, nah, we ain't fucking with you. Like, all right, bet. You say that now. <laughs> we knew we was finna win. You feel me? So we organized. Um, we shut down Sailor Gate, which is one of the main entrances to campuses to campus on the biggest day. It's like 40,000 people on campus, right, coming to Cal um, to see how great Berkeley is. And we shut down Sailor Gate, the main entrance, just like literally 20 of us, 25 of us, arm in arm, like y'all motherfuckers ain't getting through. And we said, we got these 10 demands, you're going to meet our demands, and that's that. A couple weeks later, they're like, all right, we're going to meet your demands. We opened up a black resource center. Um, that's probably about the size of this building, um, to where black students can get resources. So we like, oh not this building, this room. It was this building, man. Shit. The size of this room, you know. But the old space we had was hella small. It was like, you know, if I'm in there, you can only fit like five people. Shit was very small. This shit is small. Small. Small as fuck. So like, black student organizing and organizing for spaces. That shit hella important. It's like, how are we gonna be in the city of Berkeley, which is historically hella black, right next to Oakland, but not have no black spaces? Not have no African, you know, like, shit dedicated to black people. It's like, I heard they don't even have no black studies department on this campus. Yeah, essentially the same shit y'all going through up here. Ain't no black resource center, ain't no black student development office. Like, but one message I wanna say is like, if that's a resource that you want, like that shit could happen. You feel me? You don't gotta wait for nobody but yourselves in here. And it don't gotta be hell with people to do it. 
Um, so that's one thing that we did on Berkeley is really it was just organizing and fighting to have a black space, to have black professional staff, to support black students, to plan events, to have like retention. Because at Berkeley, the dropout rate is hella high for black students. Like six out of 10 black students are graduating. Shit, if you were a black student athlete, it's four out of 10. If you're a black male student athlete. And you know, black athletes are making millions and millions of dollars off of, but they ain't graduating. So that's one thing we for sure want to talk about is like, you can really demand some shit, pull up on your president, pull up on your chancellor with demands. Like, we'll even work with y'all, you feel me? Like, about some shit if y'all want, you know? Like, to demand shit to make sure there's changes on this campus, and that's gonna affect the next generations of students. Like, shit, I'm paid because people protested for me. I work at Berkeley, you know, in an African-American student development, and students fought for that office to exist. Like, I teach African-American studies. Students fought for that shit to exist. People in the community, just regular black folks, you feel me, fought for that shit to exist. People who were part of the party, all that shit in Oakland, fought for all these resources to exist, and that's one of the reasons why I have a job. So just think about, like, the legacy that y'all leave on this campus, too. Like, y'all can really fight for these resources to exist. And, like, we in a black-ass neighborhood right now. It's a shame that there ain't no black resources on this campus. But they're probably actively gentrifying. Right. And it's like the, the, the students that, uh, that take space in the Black Resource Center at Cal, they also uh, volunteer at our, our breakfast program. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like And we started a garden, too. So like we really have a garden and half the proceeds from the garden be going to the breakfast program feeding the houseless people. So it's like, it's not just to fight for a black space, but to fight for a black space that's actually gonna serve the community off of campus too. Like, yeah, niggas need resources here, but the community need resources too. So how can we tap back in and use these resources and take this shit from the ivory tower and take this shit back to the hood? You feel me? So that's like a big thing that the resource center is about. Hey, again, it's, it's, it's a whole community thing. You'll be surprised what, um, what folks out here going to support y'all up here. Shit, I was just a nigga that lived in Oakland, and I wrote, I broke the story on what they was doing up at Cal for one of the biggest publications in the city, just trying to be in solidarity with them, what they had going on, the black students up at Cal. So it's, gonna, it's uh, the work that y'all are doing will affect the entire community, but the entire community will come to support y'all as well. Facts. We talk about revolution though, a lot, like, you know, people talk about nonviolence a lot, like, oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta turn the other cheek. You know, we gotta be peaceful in the in the face of violence. Yeah, I think there was in Southern yeah. California the other day. They found that white that white nigga house with um, a, a thousand straps, over a thousand straps. Like the motherfucker had assault rifles too. This motherfucker a white supremacist. He had hella guns. Why would one person have a thousand guns? So you really think this nigga was by himself? I, For the government person. to intervene on the white man having guns, like, this motherfucker really was probably up to some shit. <laughs> he was on some shit that was going to fuck Like, the people. ATF motherfucker, them motherfuckers caught this white person, like, like hey, bro, on, I'm nigga, sorry this, to do this to you, but... Hold on, nigga, this, <laughs> this one too many bullets, nigga, like... Yeah, man, you got, like, 10K rounds and a yeah. thousand straps, and, and they automatic, you know, and gun control in California is supposed to be strict. And that's also because of the Panthers. How was able to get a thousand guns, bro? He used to be able to open carry in the California... But then, you know, the Panthers went up to Sacramento with straps, you feel me? The niggas started pressing police. And then the only time the NRA ever sponsored gun control is when niggas had straps. So really you mean, all right, we want white people to have guns. Oh, that's not what we meant. We meant, hold on, wait, nigga. Wait, we, bro. We didn't mean you. <laughs> we didn't mean the African-Americans. Like, what? Yeah, it's, so. Um, and I think, I think guns can be super scary, and I think they have such, like, a negative... Um, I feel like there's such like a, so much negativity associated with them. Like we think about like self-preservation in a white supremacist capitalist patriarchal society. I feel like a gun is at the is at the top of that list if you're gonna preserve yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like this is in Los Angeles where a nigga had progressive California where a nigga had a thousand guns, bro. Democrat state where there's all these gun laws apparently. You don't think you deserve to preserve yourself? So like at like, the very least, you don't think your life matter that much to where at least you could be able to protect yourself from somebody? I don't know. I think I love my life. I love, I my, love life my people's life. And, you know, it's like, you fire me once, I might take a step back. All right. You might try to punch me twice. I'll take another step back. But if you punch me three times, man, I'm liable to defend myself by any means I see necessary especially from this white supremacist state. But 
we're taught to think that our lives, we can't defend ourselves. How come everybody can have guns except black people? That's what I just want to know. And we'd be, we'd be talking about revolution. You know, it's like, how do you say revolution without thinking about, like, what an actual revolution is? There ain't been no revolution without bloodshed. And white people didn't show, they not, going, they not going out either. Like, also, for real, if we gonna be honest with ourselves, like, white people have shown us over the course centuries, there's a hundreds, hundreds of years of data that show white niggas is not going to, white people not going out without a fight. <laughs> That's... They, they not going out without a fight, for real. Damn, all right. <sighs> he said, whoa. <laughs> Man, shout out, shout out to y'all for having us. I hope y'all learned something. <laughs> nah, also for real shit. Like, I, I, we we definitely gonna get into like. Unfortunately, we gonna get into a Q and A portion. Yeah, but I think we really, <laughs> we really think though. Like we talking about guns and the movement. Guns have a have a certain purpose. Do I think every nigga need a gun? No. Not everybody need a gun. But like, if we talking about defending our communities, you know, it's like, I always remember my uncle would always tell me, he said, I knew it was safe to go outside in East Oakland, deep East Oakland, when I saw a panther on the block with a shotgun and a braid. He's like, it was safe for me to go outside when I see, you know, a black person out there strapped. And that had a lot of resonance. It's like, even uh, it's on 55th and Market, that uh, sign they have. Like, the Panthers literally was like escorting children across the street because children was getting hit by people driving too fast with guns. There was no stoplight, you feel me? There was escorting people across the street. So it's like, we talking about feeding our people, we talking about protecting, we gotta protect our people too. You feel me? And I don't, none of us, we don't like violence, but self-defense isn't violence either. I'm super passive, my nigga. Like, super defending your life is not violent. We, if we love our people, it's like we can't just, we in this generation where it's like, open your phone and record. Fuck that shit, intervene. You feel me? It's like, we just gonna pull out our phone and just, you know, that shit, that shit, that shit trash. We live in this social media generation where it's like, all right, we gonna damn near watch somebody die? The fuck? So for real, I think self-defense is super important. When we think about self-defense, it ain't just about guns, right? Like I think People's Breakfast Oakland think about food, just the basic, basic necessities and basic things that we think might be basic is not basic. And that's also a form of self-defense. Think about food autonomy in our own communities, right? Like having our own autonomous food like one goal that we have for people's breakfast open is like damn let's grow our own food where we have a program that all the shit was grown by us all the food we served was by us because if we don't have no food autonomy is that liberation either you know what i'm saying so it's like really think about self-defense not just on in the only aspect of guns but in different ways you know it's like really protecting each other and i think that's really a duty that we all have is really we got to love and protect each other and in, in my opinion, it ain't love if you don't protect each other. Excellent. So, that revolutionary love, you feel me? That Asada Shakur love, you know what I mean? Real nigga shit. <laughs> but thank y'all so much for fucking with us. We appreciate y'all. We really, we really rock with y'all.